And I think when you put in an honest day's work, whatever that work is, I think it empowers you in a way, even though it's challenging and hard and sometimes you really don't want to do it, mm. it reinforces your metal as a person, your armor, your ability to also believe in yourself that, you know, I may not know a lot and I might be uncomfortable and I'm unsure, but at least I have the ability to work, to learn something new. I'm Doug Bobst, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobes, and today on the show is going to be one of the most impactful episodes yet. It's going to be full of wisdom, inspiration, and such an incredible comeback story. My guest today, many of you will recognize as she is one of the most notable athletes of our lifetime, but today we're going to get into some parts of her journey that you might not know about. And she was actually the first Nike spokeswoman and first female athlete to design a shoe for Nike, just to give you all some context into the level of success she achieved as an athlete. And my guest today is none other than Gabby Reese. And she is not only a volleyball legend, but an inspirational leader. She's also the host of the Gabby Reese show. She's an author and entrepreneur, but most importantly, she's a mom, a wife, and an incredible human being. In this episode, she will be sharing lots of inspiring experience-based stories about her life as an athlete, wife, mother, and entrepreneur. So let's get this conversation started and welcome Gabby Reese to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Gabby, thank you so much for coming on. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm getting used to all of this like pretend in person now. I think this is like the new norm. I know it's funny. We were chatting about uh, about this before and it's like, it's interesting to see how times are changing and how like a lot of what has already been coming is coming now. We've kind of been thrust into this mode of like online, right? You saw like the transition, even like all you like, like online dating, more people were online dating and then more people <laughs> were, uh, you know, getting on like the Peloton bikes and doing fitness apps. And, and you hear, you heard like the theme, like you better get online, you better get online. And then all of a sudden now it's like the people who are already like online who are crushing it or continuing to crush it. You know, with that being said, clearly, you know, you've had some extreme success. I mean, you're one of the most, you know, famous athletes of, of our generation. And what's really inspiring to me doing the research I did on you, not only is like your level of integrity you have with your family and your business and everything that you do, but it's really like your backstory and how, you know, there could have been every excuse in the world for you to quit. I mean, between, you know, your, your dad passing away between you being kind of abandoned by your mom and then reconnecting with her and then having all that trauma and then having your, your new fan, your mom and your stepdad get divorced, like all that extra layer of just crap. I mean, there's so many people that would have just sat on their childhood like that and just blamed it for the rest of their life. And I see that a lot in, in the addiction community where people just can't get over that hump because they're still so caught up. So kind of walk the audience through like, what that was like with the experience like in your childhood and how like getting into sports like really saved your life. No, I think, you know, and I also want to preface, like also I'm deep enough into adulthood that I believe that most of us 
with the exception of like a few types of traumas should probably find the way for our own sake to, to work it out and to move on, Mm. you know? Um, And certainly my stuff, there's always, you know, what does Byron Kitty's talk about? It can always be worse. Right. So, you know, I, I've got bounced around quite a bit as a kid and uh, my, my father passed when I was very young and, and then when I was a junior in high school, I was 15, I was living in the Virgin Islands and I, I kind of was going nowhere because it, it didn't occur to me. I didn't have people around me that it was like, go to college and, you know, all these things. It was like people were having a good time. Mm. And my mother pulled me out of there and put me into St. Petersburg, Florida, because I was six foot three and I walked into a very small school, they automatically were like, oh, you're going to play sports. Because if you if you were worth your weight at all in sports, um, in that community, you would have gone to a bigger school to try to get attention. And so I got involved. I had messed around a little bit with volleyball, but really got involved with volleyball and basketball. And my basketball coach was a great mentor, Coach Dean Souls. He, you know, there were a few families in that environment that saw that I had I was navigating a couple things. Uh, as far as like my home situation. And I think they sort of said, well, we'll help this kid a little bit. Um, even my senior year, weirdly, I lived with the principal and his wife and their two small children. Cause my mom was now not going to go back to that school. And he was like, and it was my senior year and I'd sort of built some stability and he was like, no, send Gabby. And when I got put into the school, what was funny, it's a Christian school. I was the only quote unsaved person in the high school. <laughs> wow. How was <Yeah>. that? <laughs> You know, I, I was like, okay, I just didn't grow up that way. Right, right, right. I didn't really understand all that. But I mean, I, I think by nature and tonally, I'm probably in, in, inside pretty defiant in a different kind of way. So then I got offers to play ball, basketball and volleyball in college. And I chose Florida State. And then that coach, uh, Dr. Cecile Renan, ended up having a huge impact on my life. And so when you say sports saved my life, I, you know, people can be groomed for success and they can say, I was, I'm going to be an Olympian. And I was like, yo, I, I'm just trying to survive mm. and figure out how I can take care of myself. And so I was really heavily focused on how I was going to do that, which sometimes can make you smart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think just hearing from what you just said, you know, it's like you were trying to survive and you found this method in sports and then along the way, you've, you sometimes these unexpected heroes come in our lives, right? And for you, that was like, you know, your coach and they come in, they're like a blessing and they're these angels. And you're like, man, like, I never thought this would be the person that would come into my life and help like guide me along the way, right? And, you know, I think the one fascinating thing that sports does and health and fitness, as you know, is community. And it gets you around other people that are going the same way you're going. And maybe like for some of us who grew up in a very dysfunctional home or dysfunctional upbringing, we never had that consistent community, right? And so like what role did community in sports, like not just at, at Florida State when you were playing, but as you got out and went pro and then went on to the Olympics, like how did that how did that play into really helping you kind of heal from all the crap you went through? Yeah, and just to clarify, I went from the pros back into work life. I, you know, again, my strategic self looked at continuing in volleyball and it, you know, it was, it was, a t- it was a tough, it was, it's such a small sport, mm-hmm. but I, you know, listen, community purpose 
you know, contribution to the, to the tribe, if you will, a level of self-discipline, you know, these things are very grounding. And I think when you put in an honest day's work, whatever that work is, I think it empowers you in a way, even though it's challenging and hard, and sometimes you really don't want to do it. Mm. It reinforces your metal as a person, your armor, your ability to also believe in yourself that, you know, I may not know a lot, and I might be uncomfortable and I'm unsure, but at least I have the ability to work, to learn something new. You know, they talk about that, uh, you know, body of evidence, Ryan mm-hmm. Holiday. Yeah, yeah. That. It's not like, oh, I know everything. None of us know anything. I always laugh at that chicken and egg thing. It's like, well, you can't get that job until you've had that job. Well, how the hell do you get that job until right, you right. find that job? It, but it's that, so those kinds of environments give you that confidence of like, I've been in many situations where I didn't know how to do something and I learned how. Yeah, I, that's, it's, it's so true. And especially like in, as an entrepreneur, like it's not just everything doesn't line up like perfectly. It never does. Right. It's like, it's, everybody says it's like, you know, you hear like what you're saying is like the chicken and the egg thing is very similar to ready, aim, fire. And it's backwards. It's ready, fire, then aim. It's like, you just kind of go, you get thrust into an environment and then you figure it out along the way. I mean, and it's just the way life is it's like i'm sure when you were playing volleyball and you got started in that career you weren't like all right like i'm envisioning myself being this perfect dedicated you know decorated athlete and i'm gonna retire as one of the most famous volleyball players ever you're like and that's what it's gonna be you're like no like i'm just trying to like save my life and get around like different people and find something that's actually supporting my soul and then of course because i mean in my belief that you were so aligned with your soul and your purpose of who you were supposed to be, things kind of organically like worked out for you. And then, you know, you get into modeling and then you end up what you end up hosting a TV show on MTV where you actually met Laird, right. For the first time, if I'm correct, was that my correct? Yeah, very close. So when I was working, I was always doing other, when I was playing ball, I was always doing other things. And one of them was doing TV. So I had a show MTV sports, but that brought me to another show that I hosted mm-hmm. the extremists go figure And then I met Laird on that show. And, you know, I had done probably close to 90 television shows. Believe me, I had no romantic interludes. I was going there to work and with Laird. But, you know, an important thing about all of that process, too, is I I really admire people or athletes that have a very definitive goal. Like I'm, you know, I'm going to do this and I would like to not only be the best that I can be, but like for people who want to go on to the pros or to the Olympics, my only concern sometimes when they put that goal there is, and and it's, it's for certain people is that if anything is less than that, then it's maybe considered a failure. And I just sometimes think that within that, um, there's so so many kinds of success, you know, versions or definitions of success. And actually, I I also think there's a different and unusual price for people who just work hard and strive for this one, you know, kind of external goal. You know, you'll even see Michael Phelps has that that special on HBO talking about like, you know, people don't, I think people don't realize. So how is it that we try to pursue greatness, but yet develop ourselves as human beings and what that looks like? So that means relationships, whether it's just friendships, that is like personal growth. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes when we, and unfortunately it's like, well, is that what it takes? 
So I was always trying to do all the things because maybe in my nature and based on the way I grew up, a level of having homeostasis flow in and out of my everyday life felt really good to me. Yeah, you're right on so many levels. And I think, you know, Michael Phelps, Baltimore guy, right? I mean, I think what you you just said about that, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think it's not just about getting to the top as an athlete. It's like, what about all the lessons you're going to learn along the way? What about all the growth and the fortitude and the wisdom that you have to have to get there? Because you see a lot of these athletes and that's their only identity, right? You hear a lot in today's society is like the, the word identity. And, you know, many when they retire or they stop playing or they get hurt, they lose that sense of identity because that's all that they had. I recently interviewed uh, Trent Shelton. I don't know if you're familiar with Trent's story, right, on my show. And we, that was part of his identity in his story was football. And then when he got cut, you know, you lose that sense of hope and purpose. And then you have to rediscover yourself. And if you look at what, you know, he's been able to accomplish by rediscovering himself, it's created a whole new identity for him that now he's inspiring millions of people. And the reason I bring that up is a lot of people, when they have that wake up call, they don't make that shift. Right. And you've continued to make these shifts, which is very inspiring. And I know, so you met Laird and you guys, y'all got married. And I believe in the late nineties, I think it was like 97. Y'all have been married now, what, 23 years. Congratulations. So you both, what's really fascinating and cool is you both are, I mean, let's call it what it is. You both are celebrities, right? You're both very well-known public figures, if you will, in the eye of America. And you've managed to stay married for 23 years, which is incredibly impressive because you're seeing now, you're seeing, you know, during, especially in the middle of this pandemic, relationships are exploding, right? Like the divorce rate's gone from like uh, zero to 60, you know? And so like, what have been like your, some of your best practices as a couple that has like kind of like kept you all like, I mean, if you think about it, you guys work together, you all, you know, work out together at times, you know, you're together all the time without like things exploding. Seriously. We're not not easy people. We're not. Laird and I are both pretty intense. You know, there's a couple of things in that formula, which is, uh, I'll start at the, at the most fundamental, which is Laird and I have a lot of chemistry as people. Mm. You have that, we experience that with friends. We have certain people that are good friends and really we, you start with a lot of chemistry with a person. And so we have, we have that chemistry. We certainly had two times, certainly that I can definitively point to that we had very uh, challenging times in our marriage. So there's, there's, those are learning opportunities. So it's not like we've just cruised along for almost 25 years being together. And, you know, we hit some places that were meaningful enough that we had to say, like, are we going to stay together? I mean, like divorce papers filed and all. And then what happens is, is if each person is responsible for themselves, mm. this is, I think this is important for all of us at all, all times. You know, I'm not Laird's mom. I'm going to, what I'm going to do when I wake up each day is I'm going to say, okay, how can I enhance the people around me? How can I enhance their lives? And that even means if I go to the grocery store, if I run by somebody, I don't have to know them. Can I, can I contribute something better than like, Hey, get out of my way. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Walking around in your life saying, I'm I'm here to add value right now with your kids. Obviously that's different. That's a different type of service. But with your partner, you would hope that your partner feels the same way. You can't dictate to them on how to do that. So I would say that both Laird and I are highly self-governed. 
And, and, and also I think we're interested in kind of trying to really show up Mm. as flawed as it is. And if we have a real issue, the good thing is, is that Laird certainly is a clear the decks guy, you know, every day he's the one who taught me about sort of healthful, healthful conflict. Cause I thought, Oh, when you love someone, you, you just kind of don't say anything. And then like early in my marriage. And then I was like, I'm out of here you know, cause three years of accumulation of anything mm. and you're good. So he, he does that. And so I think it's, it's, I'm not looking for Laird to make me fulfilled or happy. And what I say to him is like, I can't make you happy, but I, I could make it, I could make your life better. Like mm. that's my goal. And people, I think we live in a time where people are really afraid to do that. They're afraid to be of service to one another. And what I, what I know to be true is that I think that is the ultimate sign of strength it is not in fact a weakness and if somebody doesn't reciprocate their version or they don't get it or they're not on the same page again with the exception of your children then you would not be in that situation you know yeah i think you bring up some some things that are important for everyone to hear no matter if we're talking about relationships or not number one's personal accountability and responsibility that you know, when you reach a certain point, I don't know what the age is, whether it's, you know, I mean, the adult age they say is 18, but you know, it's kind of, right. They say 27 is the time, unless like, listen, there's people out there who've been really hurt and, yeah. I, and, I'm saying that, and I wouldn't pretend to understand what that is. You know, I got neglected. I didn't get actively mm, traumatized. Right. And that's very, very different. Yeah, no, I, yeah, that's, that is, it's. They say 27. And by the way, if you were picked on in high school, cause you were like all that shit, it's like, let's go 27. And, and I've said this a lot. What are your high cards? Mm. Because we all have them. We all have high cards. We could spend all day long talking about our low cards. And that's the easy thing for a lot of people, I think, to do. I mean, you would think it, it wouldn't be. You would think people would rather like talk about like what's great about themselves or what they are proud of or some things they have overcome. And I think, you know, the biggest thing that I've seen is, like you said, like the responsibility thing is like we're responsible for ourselves and fulfilling ourselves and making our life, our own life better and then adding value to the people around us. Right. And there's different ways to do that. And sometimes people, I mean, I know for me, I played the, what you talked about before. I always played my low cards up until I was 21 and it got, and honestly, it got me incarcerated. I was blaming my parents for their divorce. I was blaming everybody who picked on me. I was blaming the girls for not liking me in high school or being called fat or whatever it was. And I was incarcerated being a victim. And honestly, like as, as good as that felt because I didn't have to take responsibility, it got me nowhere. And, and where I wanted to be was I wanted to be healthy. I wanted to be happy. And I was doing the polar opposite. And it wasn't until I changed my friends, changed my habits, looked within and been like, you know what, Doug, like if anyone's going to change, it's going to be you. No one's going to make you feel better. And, and, it, and it's so you know, important, especially in today's times where everyone is like, it just seems is, is uncertain about what their future is going to look like. And it, I cannot emphasize enough the importance of taking responsibility for what you can, can, can control. Like, can you exercise today? Who are you surrounding yourself with? Are you listening to podcasts? Or are you watching the news all day? Like, what are your choices? Right? Well, I understand something and it's really important. It's not easier, right? Like it takes discipline and it's not about easier, but if we're talking about the long story, mm. bigger story, 
it always seems to work out better. Right. Try to practice, chip away a little bit in this disciplined way. Like, hey, guess what? Some days I don't feel like being nice. Right. Right? But you kind of tell yourself that in, like, I know the long story. Mm. I know the formula. And I'm committed to that. Right. Day that I'm bumpy and I want to like F you to everybody, including my family, because I feel that way. Of course. You go, you know what? Is this going to enhance the long story that I'm committed to that I believe after I've evaluated all this, that it just works better and selfishly, right? Like it can work better for everybody around me, but guess who else it works better for? It works better for me. So this isn't some also Pollyanna like theory, like, oh, I'm here to be of service. It's actually, I know it's the only way it really works. <laughs> It, it, it just is. And even talking about like, if you're talking about that deep sense of occasional peace or happiness, and I say occasional because it's not meant to be there every second. I know, I am sure I am convinced that it's the only way that it works. And for us to ever get that or achieve that, it's never going to come from the outside. And it's always going to come from some form of service. Yeah. And I think there's a reason, at least, you know, I never went to AA or NA when I was recovering from addiction, but there's a reason like being of service to others is the final step. Right. And they say that, you know, whenever you want to make someone else, make yourself feel better, go be of service to someone else. And, you know, it's so true because I think at the end of the day, like you never really regret helping somebody. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, you always kind of feel better being like, you know what, like I made that person's day better, or you get an unexpected reaction. Like I remember, one of the things I'll do, you know, very randomly is I'll pick up the person behind me and now it's in the drive-thru at, at Starbucks. I'll pick up their coffee and it might be like, I don't know, $3. Sometimes it might be $8, whatever it is. And I don't really think anything of it other than, you know, I'm being of service and, and helping somebody behind me out that might be less fortunate. And then I remember one time I parked my car and I was sipping my coffee and I was waiting to get on a call and this lady pulled up right next to me and rolled her window down. She's like, hey, you know, I wanted to thank you for buying my coffee. Like I was having like a really, really horrible week. And this made my week. And then what does that do to me? I'm like, wow, like you put, it puts a a selfishly, I guess, in a way, a smile on my face. And I'm like, you know what? Like I just made someone else's day better by just doing a random simple act of kindness for like, that took me all of two minutes and $3. Right. And I think the other thing that you brought up in your conversation about your relationship, you know, with Laird is that you, you both like in a way are committed to personal growth. Like you're both committed to, you know, getting better, which I think helps because, you know, I think in a relationship, especially when times get tough, those who I think are committed to having a growth mindset, see these, these, these problems as opportunities to grow and you'll kind of do whatever it takes to kind of like improve that versus the people that aren't focused on personal growth. They'll see that as like a setback and they'll take it as like a strike to their ego. Right. And and so I just think it was really, it's really in- incredibly inspiring to kind of hear that coming from you that, you know, life isn't always perfect, but you do whatever it takes to make it better when, you know, you're not feeling so good and you own it. Clear that life, actually life is, is never perfect, right? Like that's the whole right. thing. What's about is that it's not perfect. So there's a couple notes to that. One being that the relationship like health it, you, it's sort of like a daily practice. Mm-hmm. Garden has to get tended to. And what happens to people is I think they get together long enough and they're like, oh yeah, <laughs> them, right? Yeah. And then 
do that with our health. We could do that with other dynamics in our life. And so I think if we approach our partnership with, with the other, with that sort of diligence, you, you know, you, you keep it healthy. You can tend to the issues quicker. They don't have long, deep roots that you forgot why it was that you don't like each other anymore. Right. Right. Um, When's the last time you had intimacy and why did that stop? Like tend to it right away. It's uncomfortable. And I don't mean like, let's talk about our feelings every second. I'm just saying like, pay attention. Mm. And, and the other thing too, is like, we're always looking outside and, and sort of judging our partners. How about be somebody that, you know, somebody wants to be with, because that's the only thing you can control anyway. So what does that mean? If you're, if you're showing up, if like you're reading and you're trying to learn, you'd be like, oh, okay. Instead of like, oh, they never do this and they're this, that's on them, you know? And, and you nagging or, or complaining about it, that's really not going to change it. It's only going to make it a thing. I think we do far better by inspiring people by our, the way we're living than by like drilling down on them. I mean, it's like parenting, be a good example. Your kids aren't really listening to you. They're watching you. And I think the other thing that's really important to remember is, I don't know, like with a relationship, it's just, I think it's so important to appreciate. Like you're in this partnership, it's so easy to overlook what's special or unique about this person that you're very familiar with because you know the good and the bad. And And I think it's a practice. So even conversely, like blaming our parents, all these things, you're training, we're training our brains to function that way there is a way to train your brain to at least have a fighting shot to look for the good news, right? Like writing writes about the science of happiness Mm. and people, that's the other thing we don't realize is that if we're, like you said, if we're around people that are complaining and doing all this, that's a practice. We're flexing that muscle, that brain, that's what it's looking for. Conversely, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's also being when we're looking for the things like, God, that meal was really great. I had a great uh, interaction with somebody today to the thing. We're training that muscle and that's the one that's looking. So people have to realize too, that we're not, na- nobody's naturally walking around going like, you know, sunshine and, and moonbows. It's like, there's a certain level of like discipline. It's like annoyance. I see situations in people that I know I'm going to get pissed and annoyed. And unless I really have to interact, you know what I do? I get the hell away. Yeah, Why would I do something that I know I'm going to get annoyed. And by the way, that won't bring out the best in me. Okay. Like that's the other thing. And there's plenty of people who go right for it head first, like, Oh, I'm down. So I think it's, it's all of that as well. No, you're right. And I think, you know, it's just, it's really funny, you know, what you, what you said and you talked about like, you know, improving yourself and being that person. And it's like, you see a lot, like, would you date yourself? Like, would you, based on how you're acting, based on what you're doing, it's like, you know, I see you I kind would, of. I would bore myself. What I love. No, no, you not. and exciting. If it was me, would be like, "What's the schedule? Are you ready? Okay, let's go." You know? <laughs> no, no, no. I know. I'm kidding aside. It's like, and it's and it's like somebody asked me a question. You know, they were like, "Would you? Would your son or daughter, if you had a son or daughter, be be proud that you know you were acting this way, right?" And I don't have any kids, but I was like, if I had kids, I was putting myself in that position you know, it's an, it's a, it's a real heartfelt way to kind of get to like your emotions and your feelings of how you're behaving, because, you know, sure enough, you, you, I'm sure you have an emotional connection to your, your kids and you're like, you know, like, wow, like I should be not be so reactive or I should be, you know, taking care of my health more. I should be getting more sleep or whatever it is. 
And so I want to kind of pivot into parenting because for you, like something I was blown away. I saw this article where like your daughter, I think interviewed you. I think it was in like bizarre like years ago about like body, the bo- like body image or something. It was like, she was, you know, six to like 150 pounds or something. And, and you were kind of like going, being very candid with her about the body and how, like, I think a lot of times in society now, like if you're not skinny, it's not considered hot or sexy or whatever it is. And it's like, really like, she was just like, well, show me your numbers. Like, what are your numbers? Like, and I think that's extreme metric to fall back on because like, just like we talked about in sports, like there's certain things in sports you can't control. There's certain things in your, with your body you can't control, but you can control to a certain extent, how strong you get. You can control to a certain extent, how hard you work and what kind of person you are. So talk a bit about the relationship you have with your daughters. And I mean, I saw your daughter was a guest on your podcast. I mean, it's super mature. So like, I, I just, it has, to, and it stems from obviously, you know, your parenting skills. So talk a bit about like, you know, your style with that. We will get you back to this episode of the adversity advantage in just one second. But first wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, earth echo foods. Their founder, Danette May was a past guest on the podcast and shared her phenomenal journey and how it inspired her to create her products, such as cacao bliss which I take every single day to help me look and feel my best. I mix it up either in my smoothie or in my coffee. And the great thing about it is it starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally touched by the sun, maintaining its incredible health benefits. It's then mixed with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for that magical blend to make you feel your absolute best. The result, fall in love with a truly healthy and guilt-free chocolate that reduces your cravings, helps with weight loss, boosts your energy, and reduces your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it is friendly to paleo, gluten-free, keto, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Again, it's earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug to learn about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Well, listen, my style's changed over the years. You do a lot of course correcting uh parenting. So I started as a step parent. Um, mm. my oldest daughter was very young, four or five months old when I met Laird, we've co-parented the whole time with her. Then eight years into our relationship, we had our, our second daughter who's now almost 17. And then my youngest daughter is 12. And, you know, you have ideals. And also if you came from a situation where maybe you thought you would do it really differently, you come in with a lot mm. of insecurities as a parent, cause you didn't really have an example. And then you think like, for me, I was like, okay, if I'm, if I create a really safe and clean and healthy, peaceful home, I'm going to, it's going to take care of everything. And then what you realize is every kid is different and they will have to go through things that you didn't want them to have to go through. And then they become teenagers and they start to talk to you about your parenting skills or your parenting techniques. Mm. Some care and and some have a lot of notes that they are you know want to share with you and the the thing is is like um, if you can pay attention as a parent and and really not take it personal and really try to hear what they're saying um, there's an opportunity for you to grow in a way that you wouldn't have had had you not had this dynamic because only your kids would make you look at it right like even your partner you'd be like oh you're right you know? right 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 but I think the the love you feel for your child is so profound and also you're trying to be diligent. You've never done it before. There's no way to get it right. Mm. So you're trying to be diligent in the way that you're paying attention to like, well, I used, I was doing that and that felt good, but what she's saying, maybe I can take that into consideration. So then what you do though, is you expand as a human being, not just Mm. as a parent. 
so the techniques, you know, they change all the time. I've, I fail miserably about the conversations around electronics. You know, that's something we're always fighting. I think Laird and I do a pretty good job of saying like, eat whatever you want, but our family dinners consists of this kind of food. Mm. And that's how my kids eat. Because what happens is they got enough space from food that wasn't really great that now they actually can feel the difference themselves. Yeah. So it is less being like, don't eat this. So you try not to make anything taboo because you don't want that to be an issue. And um, as far as movement, make it play when they're young. But when they're older, unfortunately, you're a parent. You don't, you're the last person they want to hear that stuff from. So again, be that example and hope that they incorporate it into their lives. And the the other thing is, is we can't live through our children. Mm. They are they are. And we can want the world for them. And I see a lot of parents who do it very differently than Laird and I, but I think because Laird and I have had such intense pursuit, especially in athletics, we understand that you better love it to do it. And the other thing I say is I'm my kid's mom. I am not their coach. So if I was like Andre Agassi's mom, let's say (laughs) that was not a success. Like, Oh, I hated it every second. Right. I was his coach and he won the U S open. I'd say that was a success. So also I'm wearing a different hat and practices are hard. Losing's hard. Competing's hard. That has to be your own personal jam. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I I think the one thing you, that, uh, that stuck out to me is, yeah. I mean, I think obviously, you know, parenting is a, I mean, from what I understand is ever changing and you're kind of adjusting as the tides go, if you will. And you know, what's, what's cool though, is that you and Laird were very successful athletes. So you've kind of had, you've kind of checked that box. And I think a lot of parents, when they want their kids to be an athlete, a star athlete, it's a lot of times, I think it's from, they've never really had success as an athlete. So they're like living, have wanting them to live out their unfulfilled dreams. And I mean, I think, I think there's like studies on this too. Right. So, and I really, what I really like about what you guys do is you guys are role models for them in the way you live your life. I remember growing up, you know, my, my parents, you know, my dad like wanted me to eat healthier and, but he wasn't eating healthier. So I'd be like, it was kind of like monkey see, you know, monkey see monkey do. And so I'm sure they see, you know, how y'all live your life and how you, how you guys treat each other and how you handle conflict and it's inspiring to them and it helps them grow up faster. So We just want to give like, this is not, it's also like the rules of the universe. Mm. I'm interested overall in playing by the rules. And I know Laird is Laird's in nature. I mean, he's next to, you know, giant waves. It's like, <laughs> let's play by the rules, the real rules, not the man rules. Let's play by the rules of like, Hey, you know what? If somebody needs something and you have it, give it to them. Do your best. Don't lie. You know, it's like, there's some rules that both Laird and I, I don't need to test that. And, and, and uh, if somebody money or notoriety or any of that, if that distracts you from the rules of the universe, I, I'm not interested in paying that price down the road. You, you know I mean? I, and, and also I think we're all here as tools. Like we all have different and special things we can contribute. So let's do that. 
And, and, and your life can be, I believe you can prosper. Like you can do all the things like, you know, I think you can have all those things that we all sort of have been told feel really important and we don't have to do it at any cost. Yeah. And I think so many people chase after money and when they chase after money, they end up doing things for the wrong reason. They come across in a very needy, salesy, inauthentic way. And the very thing they want, you know, is to make more money and help people, whatever it is at the end of the day, they're pushing themselves further away because they're so disaligned with the universe and, and what they're meant to do. And, you know, you can't take money to the grave with you, but you can, you know, take the kind of person you were, how you ran your business, how you interacted with your community, you know, the, your integrity, your genuineness, all that stuff is things that you can take to the grave. And I think we forget about it. And I think we see so many other people have success that we end up trying to shortcut it and short circuit it. And we don't see like the, the hardships and the pitfalls that people have to go through to experience success. And how did like your, you know, career as an athlete, how did that really set you up? to endure a lot of the hardships that of being an entrepreneur? Oh, well, cause losing is as much, <laughs> you know, like if you're an entrepreneur, you probably lose more often than you win. Maybe yeah. you're winning in the end. Like maybe you get one win that's bigger than 20 losses. Right. Right. But it's also being clear, being systematic, being organized in your thinking about your approach, taking criticisms, constructive criticisms, about you know what you're not doing well and and also even sometimes knowing when to pull the plug you know staying realistic i think sometimes we get too emotional about something when we're entrepreneurs like well i think it's so important okay it's cool you're one person so i think also learning to to keep this the space between you and what you're doing so you want to have the passion to get up each day to do it but you want to keep your perspective on what does it where does it fit in the marketplace, if you will? So right. being able to do both, you know, maybe if you're an athlete, there's games that you didn't play well, but your team won. And selfishly, you'd be like, well, I didn't play well. Okay, but your team won, right? So mm. sometimes you need to learn those, like you separate your own feelings and go, okay, but I can look at the big picture. So I think it certainly has helped and uh, access getting to meet lots of people. Um, and, you know, I want to say also a benefit to Laird and I both is that we've been together for so for a pretty decent amount of time now that we've also had the luxury of having built in protection from one another and even inspiration, like how do you keep moving and all the stuff. And so we don't, in a way, we're not going at it totally alone, which makes it easier. Mm. So when you say, oh, you guys are doing this and that, yes, we have that opportunity. However, that is also a luxury afforded to us because of the, that we've had each other. So I want to like decipher that because let's say you're a singular person going through life and you're trying to navigate and, or you're a single mom or something. It's like, Hey, listen, everybody gives where they can and how they can. Right. What they're doing. And so in some ways it's been easier for Laird and I, because we've had the support of the other for so long. So I just, you know, I just want to point that out because I think it's really important for people to realize that it's just their, their unique way. Yeah. And I think 
just because you guys have had been together for so long and had this flow doesn't mean there's not uh, the dynamics aren't tough, right? Like we like we said at the be- towards the beginning, you all are around each other all the time, which and you've seen even during this the the pandemic, like being around people all the time. You know, if they're not used to it, it's really like explodes relationships. And the one thing that I think you said that really struck out. I mean, there was a few. One was that you know in when you're on a team and you're playing a team sport, you're in it for the greater good and the movement and the commitment, not for yourself. Yes, you you have your individual contribution to the team and you're not always going to have good days, but on the days you're not good, hopefully if it's a good team, they lift you up. And also every sports team, if you look at any famous sports team or what, and whatever whatever sport it is, they have bad seasons. They don't win the Super Bowl. They lose the Super Bowl. They don't make it to the final round. They, they lose the match, but they don't quit. They come back and they, they learn. They, they kind of go into, you know, rebuilding mode. And like, okay, how can we get better? How can we improve? What were our strengths? What did we do well? How can we add value more here? How can we bring in other people? And they try to win again. And I think so many times, Gabby, people, whether it's in their personal life or in their professional life, they have a bad season or a bad chapter they're like, you know what? Like, screw it. I'm freaking throwing this pen out. I'm not writing my book anymore. I'm quitting. And it's important to realize that, you know, even the best of the best have, have bad moments in their life and, and bounce back. You look at Tiger Woods. Like, I mean, I remember, I never thought he would come back ever. Like when I, when that golf club went to the car, I was like, I was like man, him, like him too. Like, what? you know, and then I was like, it's over. And then, you know, he gets, he gets stopped, you know, for the, when he was under the influence and then he comes back and wins the masters. And, and I just say like, and obviously with your story and what you've gone through, like, don't lose hope. Like as long as you can, you know, just dig deep and do the work and, and really work on yourself, you can make a comeback. And one of the things that I think is really important to that is exercise. And what you, you all do is insane. Like I heard like stories of like doing squat jumps underwater and like, like dumbbells, like, so like describe like XPT and like your workout system of what y'all do in the pool and like how it's like extremely different from like the traditional gym. Well, XPT was started on, you know, kind of some lifestyle habits that we were doing. And, you know, some of it is, is nothing new. It's, right. it's the notion is breathe, move and recover breathing being obviously really important to know how to do it right. And I always love that. I would say it's free and you can do it anywhere. So why not know how to do it right? Move because we, we do need to move. But also this idea of participating in recovery. Like you'll, if you'll meet uh, somebody who trains really hard and you go, oh, do you, do you have a recovery day? Yeah, yeah, I took off Wednesday. Mm. But what if like you did, if you had access to like some heat or some cold or like some kind of mobility that actually supported your recovery. Because obviously what we're knowing is that the importance of recovery. And then the pool is a modality of training that Laird developed uh, with all of us. You know, we were like his crash test dummies, including Dern, um, Olean. And it was sort of this idea of like, as, especially as aging athletes, Laird, of course, is interested in breath capacity and increasing you know, your CO2 capacity. Because what people first meet underwater is not a lack of oxygen, it's an intolerance to CO2, right? So just his interest in that for obvious reasons was surfing. But then what you start to realize is like, oh, I'm a little older and now I can do 200 jumps in the pool and not pound my joints. So there's a, a several types of exercises that are you know, done from three feet of water all the way down to 12 feet of water. And also the other side of the training is some of the task completion stuff you can't do if you don't figure out a way in your mind 
to relax. So then I believe in our physical practice as you move through self-care, if you will, it's actually going, wait a second, how am I able to use this training to function better as a human organism, wherever I'm allocating that? So a lot of that is the only difference between people going there and back and not needing a breath was their ability to relax. It sounds so simple, but when you want to get to the highest level of performance, how do you do it safely? Every activity should be something that you could do for a very long period of time, meaning years and years and years and years. And how will this improve me as a human being and make me function better out here in land when I'm in my car in traffic, dealing with the boss I don't like or whatever? That's the beautiful thing about physical fitness, Gabby, is you know, there's like four pillars of fitness, I believe. It's emotional fitness, mental fitness, spiritual fitness, and physical fitness. And you can be emotionally, you know, mentally and spiritually fit. And when you're, if you're not physically fit, it will start to bring those other areas down in your life, right? But, but when you can be physically fit, and when you're physically fit, even if you're not emotionally, mentally, and spiritually fit, it can elevate that if you continue to work on your physical health. And that, I learned that. I mean, I guess the hard way, I guess, is that when I was going through all my stuff, like me being uncomfortable, not being able to do a push up in front of a bunch of grown men when I was incarcerated, like really like had me tested me to the point where I knew that if I could accomplish that and I could somehow like I was able to do a set of 10 push ups and run a mile at the end of my 90 day sentence, achieve that Like, what else can I achieve in my life? So then it, you know, correlated and it was like a domino effect to like, okay, like, how is this going to improve me as a person? How can this improve my patients? How can this improve, improve the way I handle stress? How can this improve the way I handle isolation? So like, have you found that like during tough times, like your ability to put yourself through, you know, hard stuff when you're working out has, has helped you like stay more calm when things, you know, suck, if you will. Oh, every day. I yeah. mean, you know, the thing is, too, is I always say that it's it's very cheap therapy. Mm. In the way of like, if I can just get those positive hormones, move my body in a way. Now I'm I'm my I'm sort of better fertile soil, mm. better in these other, in some ways, more important things, right? Like the relationships and, and things like that. Oh yeah, no, hundred percent. Like that you know, we're all trying to self-medicate somehow, somehow it's booze, it's pills, it's drugs. I would take, I'll take the stuff that's not going to ruin my life. And so it's, it's movement and trying to eat the good stuff and, and be mindful that like, I am a grain of sand in this big story, (laughs) like, you know, and it's helpful. Yeah. It's, it definitely helps me move better through my everyday life. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's very like calming to know that when you're working out or when you're doing something that challenges your body, that there's, there's a payoff long-term, right? You talked about like the continuum earlier about like how you're playing the long game and knowing that whatever you're doing today, it's for a bigger mission, a bigger purpose. And then when you do exercise and take care of yourself physically, you are showing yourself that self-love, you are fulfilling yourself. You are being able to set yourself up to run a business smoother, to be a better parent, to be a better spouse and, or be, and be a better, like, you know, disciple or whatever you're trying to be in life to make a difference and be, be more positive. And I think right now, 
even before COVID, we were it, negativity breeds negativity. There's negativity everywhere. And the people who are the beacons of light are very rare, right? Because they're like, oh man, what's wrong with that person? And what do they do? And the things they have in common, I believe, are they they exercise, they work on themselves, they surround themselves with great people. And they kind of like just know that, you know, whatever they're doing is part of a bigger plan. And there's a lot of people that are listening right now that maybe feel lost and they're kind of like, you know what, like I get it but I'm still kind of struggling to find my way. Like what advice would you kind of give to somebody that's really in a dark time right now that's looking to find their way? You know, I, I try really hard because I say that the more I go, I sort of don't know too much. I mean, I know it's, it's good to get to bed early. Okay. But I think if people, let's say you're feeling uh, emotionally, you're having a hard time getting to that place of like, Oh, I look out and I see the beautiful view could you put some practices in your life that would maybe support that feeling? So I was joking, but like getting to bed early. And I know a lot of people, especially now they're feeling isolated. You know, they don't have someone to talk to and just go, Hey, this is how I'm feeling. I think what's been always helpful is could you find a place or a space or a person that you can express how you're really feeling? And by the way, they won't even maybe respond. Maybe they're just there to listen. I think that's a really important thing because I think we think we feel these things and we're that the only one or that it's really bad. And I think once we'd opened that up and showed somebody and they sort of said, uh-huh, yeah, I think that's probably pretty natural. And you know what? I still, I care deeply for you. And I, you know, it's like nothing better than when you can show someone like your funky stuff and they're like, yeah, and I love you, you know? And so I think if, if it's, if it's using self-care as a place just to start to support the idea of making it easier to get up each day. And, and then it's, I think it's really about the individual, not only germinating an idea about what their why, because when you're talking about businesses and all these things, I think having a really strong why gets us through those hard times. But then also we have to put a system in place. We have to have a strategy. We have to have a practice to get us towards whatever goal we think. I think people go, oh, I want to do this. There's no practice. There's no strategy. There's no, there's no, there's no real, you know, map. And it doesn't just happen. Oh, yeah. There's a lot that you said there that is really important for the audience to hear. And I also think it goes back to, I think that Victor Frankl in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, he talks about like when you have a strong enough why that the, that the how, the what, and the when, or something like that become much easier. And I think that's extremely true that you have to have a why you have to have a reason and a purpose behind why you're doing something, but you also have to have like a plan. Like this is why you're doing it. Like, how am I going to get there? You can't just say, you know, I want to change the world because I'm passionate about nature. And that's like my why, but you have no plan to get there. I mean, you'll kind of fall apart and you'll get distracted and you'll, I mean, because a goal without a plan, they say is what, just a wish. So have the support though like if you're in a situation that's not supporting you like you like if you were fighting you know the good fight of like drugs or alcohol you you can't be in those situations none of us you could take mm-hmm. me and it would take not very long for me to change my my behavior if i wasn't in an environment to support the behavior that i think i want and i think the other really important thing for people to remember is like they're valuable you know, it's not about valuable, like how much money did you make last year? How many, you're just, the existence of each of us is you're valuable. And so start there because maybe you can recognize your own self value 
and then try to figure out what is your why and and you'll adapt. You might go on one road and go, oh, I thought that's where I wanted to go. But then I learned about this other thing and it took me to the right and here I'm over here. And that's okay too. But you you can't just sit on your easy chair with your clicker and think it's happening. Just like life isn't happening to you. Like you've got to get involved. Yeah. I mean, it sounds so corny and cliche, but it's so true that life is happening for you and you have to make a move. You have to like go, right? You can't just sit there and be like, all right, I'm just going to sit here and write down my three wishes. And then all of a sudden a genie is going to rub a lamp and they're, they're going to appear and, you know, just it's slow. It never happens. Oh, I know. And the environment, the environment, you know, can create a false sense of normalcy, right? If you're around 10 people that are pessimistic, they're complaining, they're eating cheeseburgers all the time, not judging people who do that and doing drugs, all these things, chances are, like you just said, if you were to put yourself in an environment like that, you become that person, right? And but, but the good news is this, that if you put yourself in a position where you're around the, the same number of people and they're investing in their health and they're giving back and they're happy and they're remaining optimistic, even though times might suck and they're being vulnerable and all these things, like you're going to probably be one of those people too. And community is everything. And just knowing that it's okay to raise your hand and say you're struggling. Like, like vulnerability is like, is everything. Like it connects you to people, other people who are struggling because then you get somebody else like, you know what? Like me too. Like I've been there. I get it. And this is how I got through it or me too. I'm here right now. And we're going to get through this together. So that time, like that's an ongoing theme of life yeah. and, you know, and knowing too, that biologically we are anxious. So if you go, I feel anxious. Yep. We're all hardwired <laughs> to feel a little scared and anxious. Yeah. And, and, well, again, and again, and again, and again, it's going to keep coming. It's going to keep coming. And I think the constant thing that changes is we evolve, we learn, there's going to be ups and downs, you know, and the, the important thing is that how are we responding? Are we going to take a, these golf ball size problems that come at us and turn them into a bowling ball by how we respond by like turning to drugs and alcohol or, being a victim or complaining or blame, or are we going to keep it a golf ball and let that, you know, slowly subside by turning to things like fitness and reaching out for help and meditation, all these things that we know that short term might not feel as good as, you know, taking a shot of vodka or like, you know, snorting a pill, but long term, it'll pay off, you know, dividends. And so the last thing I wanted to, to kind of ask you about before we wrap up is you got the Gabby Reese show which I know is an awesome podcast. I've listened to a few episodes. I know you had Andrew on. I listened to the one with you and Anya Fernald, who was also a guest on my show. She's awesome, by the way, um, too. So talk a bit about the show. What's the vision behind it and what, what listeners can get out of it? Um, really simply is for me, I'm, I love that I have all these high performance people. Mm. But part of that part of our lives, some of it we can actually phone in. Maybe we were uh, genetically predisposed like, for Andrew, like with mathematics and science, like who knows? Yeah. And what I have come to really want to understand is get that like, okay, give me some information about your specialty. That's interesting. But how has that high performance, that level of high performance actually helped you? What lessons have you learned that you've been able to bring into your everyday life? Because I think for me personally, what I know is the hardest is how do I show up in my real everyday life, not just like the shiny stuff that gets all put together and you have titles and, oh, he's the CEO. It's like, ooh, you know, it's like, cool. 
how have you learned that top of the mountain experience? What have you learned there that you know to be true to make you function better? Um, because I just think we're all really going through very similar things. And if we can all, if we can just figure out those or hear some of those helpful ideas and, and maybe what you would hear from one person, like three people could give you advice and maybe for one listener, it's like, Oh, what that guy said, that's my, that's for me. Right. Um, I'm interested in those conversations because I'm interested in people and I'm interested in real performance, which means what's happening even when no one's looking, not, Ooh, you know, all the, the, the fancy stuff. I'm really interested in how, what's really happening. And yeah. Integrity is everything. Right. And it's very hard to kind of get it back, you know, once you lose it. And I think, you know, with your show, it just seems to me that the notion from what I've heard you said, and even from what I've listened to, you want to bring people on your show to give the audience an idea, not only of like what they do, like, you know, some of the people you've had on have been some of the most successful people there are, but how they got there, what lessons they learned, what kind of tactics they used to get there. How can the audience benefit from listening to it? And so then when they're trying to build a business and where they're trying to overcome hard stuff, like how can they get through it? How can they relate? How can they be like, wow, this person's being vulnerable. I had no idea that this person who was worth X amount of money or had this much success struggled, you know, and, and then they were able to like, kind of like have some peace with themselves in their own journey. So, right. That. And, and even to remind people that like I had a guy on the other day who's mission driven, his work, his entrepreneur, it's mission driven. You know what he is? Dead single, <laughs> right? Forever and ever. He probably will always be. And it's also putting people out there that are doing it a unique and different way because he's like, hey, I'm married to this cause that I'm doing. And I think that the world has some serious enough stuff that I'm not going to actually do it the way that maybe customarily we're supposed to. And I think that's important to shine light on that and tell people exactly what's in you. How do you want to make that and express that out there? And there's a million ways to do it right. Yeah. And I think you know, not everyone has the same story. As a matter of fact, we don't. And not everyone has the same business. And I think so many times in life, we try to run someone else's race. We try to finish someone else's race. And what happens is we fall, we stumble, we get held back, we don't finish because we're not running our own race. And I think, you know, your story and what you and Laird have created is very similar to Darren Olean. And I was telling him this the other day that you all are just so aligned and purpose-driven with what you want to accomplish to serve the community, what you're passionate about with your integrity and your authenticity, that things just happen because of what you're so rooted in your cause and what you believe in. And it just kind of spreads, you know, across everywhere. And I'm, I'm extremely messier than Darren. Yeah, I can tell. Uh, yeah. Your journey, it seems like it's been a little bit messier than his. I mean, but meaning like in our lives, like, you know, we have, we have teenagers kicking our ass and like, yeah. you're, like Darren's more buttoned up, you know, like him and Chaga, you know, like they, there's information. And the thing is, that's important too. You know, I joke those, but Larry right. and I are like on the ropes at the moment. Um, maybe Darren's smarter. Mm. <laughs> we were joking. Like I, I did this thing with Stephen Kotler recently and he was like, Oh, we're talking about flow and parenting. I'm like, mm -hmm. it's like, I think it's an oxymoron. He goes, I wouldn't know who's dumb enough to do that. Like joking. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. I mean, 
I'm not a parent either. So like, it's just me and shadow my dog right now. So like, it's, uh, but I, I get it. Like, but like, I mean, the reason I was saying this is I think it all goes back to the, the message of the show is that, you know, it's called the adversity advantage for a reason. Like I, I, I want to bring people on that have either inspired me or have created massive impact in the world and learn about their journey. And that knowing that just because somebody has incredible success in sports or business or life or whatever, doesn't mean that they didn't have hardship to get there. It doesn't mean that they didn't go through dark times because we all do. And I think a lot of people, they think because they're in a dark time, they'll never achieve anything good. And I just want to bring people on that have gone through some, some really, really challenging moments in their life and have created something freaking beautiful out of it because that's what life's about. I mean, you, you, you see a lot of these people who have had massive success because they've had some hardships where they've been forced to like check themselves. Right. Think about how anything is formed in nature. It's violent and it's ugly. Nothing. I mean, love is important. Love might be the most, it is the most powerful, but let's say this. I think almost every person who's been wildly successful came from some kind of adversity and rub. I think the the trickiest part would be you think, oh, I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to try to create a really nice, stable family life. And then you worry about your kids not having a rub. Mm. Then you know that actually sometimes, like you're saying, that adversity, that rub, that is your freaking rocket fuel if it doesn't eat you alive. Yeah, that's what you fall back on because then you're like, all right, life, you've knocked me down. What's next? Keep knocking me down. I keep getting back up and I'm going to keep growing and getting, becoming a better version of myself despite, despite what life throws at you. And it's just, it's amazing to see for the last time, like what you all have created. I mean, I invite everybody who's listening to this show to check out their app, XPT, to check out Laird Superfood, check out Gabby's podcast. She brings on some incredible humans, shares their stories, their tips and their tactics on how they've achieved success. And um, do some more research on Gabby's story and how she has evolved as a parent. It's incredibly motivating to see that she not only you know has done the work on herself, but continues to do the work as a parent to continue to learn in this these challenging times. I mean, the, the, the world's changing like crazy with technology, social media, you know, going through a pandemic. That you know, you you got to evolve, and just kudos to her. So. You know, all that I ask for this show is that for those listening, if you enjoyed this, just to screenshot it and share it, tell your people about it, tag Gabby, let her know what you thought. If you end up, you know, buying the superfoods, you know, make sure to give them a shout out and let them know what you thought of it as well. And once again, I appreciate y'all for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and we will see you next time.